welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this episode, we're concluding the story of Brian Boru, High King and Unifier of Medieval Ireland. He is also known for legends of ending Viking invasions of his homeland. In Brian's first episode, we covered his childhood up through the point where he was given equal power to the then High King of Ireland, Mal Sheknal of the Yuneo clan. By this point in the story, Brian is pushing 60 years old. However, you shouldn't give up on this brave warrior just because he's getting past middle-aged. While the early trials and tribulations of Brian Boru are definitely worth learning about and make for an exciting underdog story, it's definitely his engagements during the final years of his life that make the king a nearly legendary figure. And just as a quick refresher because it's been a minute, Irish history before relatively recent times in history can get a bit fuzzy. The line between legend and truth gets blurred a bit. Brian's greatest hits of his final years are really all recorded within a single book, the Kogad Gaiado Regalib, The War of the Irish with the Foreigners. It was a legendary tome written about a century after Brian's death and talks about his various wars against the Norse Gaels of Ireland. However, it was likely commissioned by Brian's great-grandson, meaning it's a pretty biased source. A more historically accurate work that we can get info from is the Annals of Ulster, a large compendium documenting over a thousand years of kings in Ireland from 431 CE to 1540 CE. However, information within the Annals is relatively sparse compared to the epic poems within the Kogagayado Regalib and even some of the legendary stories written by Scandinavians. Brian's truth lies somewhere between a few paragraphs in the Annals and the legendary stories told by poets. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're picking up in Ireland at the turn of the 11th century CE in Scotti Imperatum. Let's play a game of pickup for the background lesson this time around. I'd suggest listening to the background lesson in the previous Brian episode so you can learn about the state of Ireland since I'm just going to cover his life for this part. Brian Boru was born in the mid-10th century to Kenetig McLorkin, the leader of the Dalgash tribe. He was the 12th son and in no way actually in line for a role of leadership. During his childhood, Brian's hometown was said to have been invaded twice by Vikings. The second raid would see the death of his father and several brothers, although it's entirely possible that they died in a battle against the High King of Ireland, who Kenetig was often at odds with. From there, Brian's older brother Man would take the seat of the head of the Dalgash. Under Man, the Dalgash became the leaders of the province of Munster, with Man seated as the High King of the province. While Man fought against rival claimants to the throne of Munster, Brian decided to finally seek revenge for his family by attacking the Viking cities in southern Ireland. His fight would set him against the Norse Gaels of Limerick and several men with a variation of the name Ivar. Though he would ultimately triumph over the Vikings of Limerick at the Battle of Sulcoit and prove himself a military leader, Brian's good fortunes turned when, soon afterwards, Man was kidnapped and killed by his political rivals. Brian, now the leader of the Dalgash, quickly set to work getting rid of everyone he considered his enemies. 
the rival claimants to the High King of Munster, more Norse Gaels throughout Southern Ireland. After subjugating the Norse Gaels, Brian actually started using them to his advantage due to their boatmaking and sailing abilities, creating an unparalleled naval force, at least unparalleled when it came to the Kings of Ireland, that allowed him to take back the High Kingship of Munster and set his sights on the rest of Ireland. This would lead him down a course of warfare against the High King, Malsheknal of the Yenel clan. After years of on and off again fighting, Brian had managed to secure all of Southern Ireland under his control. This actually gained him the respect of Malsheknal, who agreed to a truce with Brian and a deal to split the island in two, with Brian ruling the southern half and Malsheknal in the north. Soon after this peace and division of Ireland, Brian would come to blows against Malmorda Macmorhada, a rebel king within the southern province of Leinster. Malmorda aligned himself with Sigtrig Silkbeard, the Norse king of Dublin, which made Malsheknal realize it was best to team up with Brian in order to bring peace to Ireland. After the combined might of the two high kings claimed victory over Leinster and Dublin, Brian marched into the future capital of Ireland and burned the city to the ground. And despite all of that, Brian actually decided to let his enemies retain their thrones. Peace arrangements were made between the two sides, and peace seemingly settled across Ireland. But who would be the next king to raise his sword in conquest? Would it be Leinster again? One of the Enail? Maybe another Viking warlord? Nope. It was Brian. Before we jump into Brian's epic quest for true control of Ireland, let's quickly talk about his family because I didn't do that last episode. Brian was married four times and sired at least nine children, six sons and at least three daughters. His first wife was the daughter of a king of Connacht. Her name was Mor, and Brian and she would give birth to the sons Morhad, Conovar, and Flan. Morhad is Brian's only son through more that was ever recorded as having any children. Brian's second marriage was to an Enail princess named Echrad, though her family was from a relatively minor branch within the southern Enail clan. Their only son was Taich, a name often wrongly anglicized as Teig. Taich's bloodline would eventually become the true successors of Brian Boru, which I guess is a bit of a spoiler for the face of his sons in his first marriage. History didn't really lend itself too kindly to Brian's first two wives because it's really only their names that were recorded. I'm going to skip Brian's third wife for just a moment to say that his fourth and final wife was a woman named Duv Kovleg, another daughter of a Kanakta king who had a son named Donal. Both would die before Brian's own death. Donal was also said to have a son, and once again, that's about it. I said Brian had at least three daughters. Maybe he had more, but we know specifically of three because of who they married. You see, Brian seemed to have a habit of cementing political truces with his rivals through marriages to his daughters. His daughter Saive was married to the son of Malmuad MacBrian, who was Brian's rival claimant to the throne of High King of Munster. Another daughter named Pabin was married to a king named Flaherty Yonel in order to secure an alliance during a raid in the north that we actually haven't gotten to yet in the story. 
Brian's third daughter that we know of was Slanya, who was married to Sigtrig Siltbeard, the Norse King Gael of Dublin and son of Gormleth. Who was Gormleth? Well, she was that third wife who I skipped over. She is the most famous of Brian's four wives because it's believed that she was also the ex-wife of Mal Shechnal. So yeah, Brian's daughter was married to her stepbrother. What else is new for this show? Gormleth was also the sister of Malmorda, the king of Leinster who rebelled against Brian. She had previously been married to a Viking king of Dublin and her son with that king was Sigtrig. She was also one of the most influential women of Ireland for the time period we're covering this episode. In fact, her influence was so powerful that it will result in a major event that will define Brian's time as High King of Ireland. But for right now, Brian isn't the High King over all of Ireland. So let's find out how he got to be the most powerful ruler in the land. Shechnal was in a bit of a predicament. He had given up the southern half of Ireland to Brian Boru in the hopes of reaching peace, even if it was only temporary. He needed peace with Brian because, besides the fact that Brian was power hungry and looking to put the entirety of Ireland under his control, Mal Shechnal was facing the constant strife of the many Yenale rulers. It seemed with each passing month and year that Mal Shechnal's control of Northern Ireland was eroding. Brian was, as said before, really looking to make all of Ireland his. Realizing that Mal Shechnal was in a vulnerable position, in the year 1000, the King of Southern Ireland gathered the combined forces of Munster, Leinster, and the Norse Gales of Dublin to march upon Mal Shechnal's home turf, the Kingdom of Meath. Since the Northern High King couldn't rely on the other Yenale clans, his only ally would be the High King of Connacht, Cahul MacConavar MacTaig. To add a problem to Mal Shechnal's fight against Brian, Connacht and Meath were completely cut off from each other by the Shannon River. If his fight was against any other king, this probably wouldn't be a problem for Mal Shechnal. But remember, Brian had Viking ships and sailors on his side who for generations had been sailing up and down the rivers of Ireland. The two kingdoms would never be able to properly meet and form a single coalition against the might of Southern Ireland. Mal Shechnal would need a brilliant solution in order to get around this. So what was his genius solution to Brian's navy? Bridges. Yup, he just built a few bridges across the Shannon. These bridges served two purposes. First and most obvious, Connacht and Meath are now connected, meaning the two armies can join as one. Second, and possibly more important, is the fact that the bridges actually obstructed the river, meaning Brian's Viking navy can no longer be a thorn in the side of both armies. And in true Brian Boru fashion, the further details of the war are lost to history. The Annals of Ireland give us a simple story. Brian wins in 1002 after two years of fighting. So what does the Kogad Gaido Regalib say? According to the stories, Brian demanded Mal Shechnal to meet him in battle at the Hill of Tara, a site of extreme importance to the High Kingship of Ireland. Mal Shechnal agrees to the battle, but with the condition that Brian gives him a month to gather allies. Brian agrees to a momentary ceasefire. 
Unfortunately, after a month, Malo was unable to get anyone to join his side. Kanak isn't mentioned, so I guess things didn't go well there. With nowhere else to turn, Mal Shachnel recognizes that Brian would absolutely destroy him and his armies, so he submits to the King of the South. While that's a nice story and all, it doesn't recognize the truth of Brian's warfare. Brian wasn't someone who'd give his enemy time to organize and build strength. He had chased a Norsegale ruler to a monastery and burned the building to the ground just to solidify his revenge. The truth of Brian's war for the High Kingship is probably closer to this. Brian controlled three armies, Malshechnal controlled one army and was relying on another king. Three to two, bigger number beats the smaller number. So no matter how romanticized or brutal the real war was, it all ends with one thing. In 1002, Brian Boru becomes the High King of Ireland. Let's briefly go over something we covered in the last episode over Brian, the title High King of Ireland. The title High King is supposed to, as it sounds, denote the most important ruler in the land. Most of the kingdoms in Ireland had their own High Kings. Brian had been the High King of Munster before he was the King of Southern Ireland. Malshechnal was the High King of Meath. These titles meant something, as they usually held political sway over the other minor kings within the kingdom. The title High King of Ireland was a bit different. Usually, it might refer to the High King of Meath, since that was where the Hill of Tara was, as well as other things of historical importance that border on mythological. If a king was powerful enough, usually meaning he held power over kings in other kingdoms, he could proclaim himself the High King of Ireland. But that didn't mean every king in the land bent a knee and obeyed that source of power. That's how you get Brian rebelling against Malshechnal. Well, Brian sought to change the game. As High King of Ireland, he wanted to ensure that everyone on the island understood what the title meant. With Southern and Central Ireland under his control, the only rulers left to challenge Brian's authority were those in Ulster. Northern Ireland, the final stronghold of the Uled and the Northern Yeneo clans. The Uled, the historical rulers of Ulster before the Yeneo, and the Northern Yeneo, specifically the Yeneo of the Canonioan dynasty, had recently been at each other's throats because of usual kingly skirmishes. Following a deadly battle, the Yenail king had been killed, but the royal bloodline of the Uled was almost completely wiped off the map. This did not put either kingdom in a great position for the arrival of High King Brian Boru. Initially, both kingdoms submitted to Brian. The Uled even announced their fealty to Brian at one of their most sacred locations, the Fort of Evan Maha, the historical capital of Ulster. But just like Mel Mortha years earlier, Flaherty Yenail of the Canonioan would rise against Brian despite his pledge of allegiance to the High King of Ireland. In 1005, just after Brian had left the north, Flaherty decided to once more lash out against the weakened Uled. The northern Canonioan had been against Brian's rule from the start and wanted to punish their neighbors for accepting the rule of a southern king from what was essentially a clan of nobodies, or at least nobodies to the people of the north. 
He had more Uled royalty killed and took several hostages as he demanded the Uled recognize him as their ruler. This uprising caused Bran to return north the following year, 1006, as well as the year after to duke it out with Flaherty Yonel. In 1007, Brian managed to free the Uled hostages from Flaherty's control. It should be noted that the hostages actually remained hostages, but now they were Brian's hostages instead of Flaherty's. In hopes of solidifying a truce with the king of the northern Yonel, Brian gave away his daughter Bebin in the marriage. Did this marriage solve all of Brian's problems with Flaherty? Of course not. Two years later in 1009, Flaherty once more decided to rebel against Brian's rule. Flaherty decided to turn his attention to his neighbors to the west, the Kennel Canal of the Northern Yenale. He tortured and killed the king of the Kennel Canal, which ironically enough was the last king of Ireland who had yet to swear fealty to the High King. But instead of waiting for Brian to come to him, Flaherty decided to take the war further south into the Midlands of Ireland. To make a long story short, Flaherty's new rebellion failed and he finally submitted to the authority of the High King. But that still left the Kennel Connell as the final kingdom that had yet to bow to Brian Boru. In 1011, Brian, alongside his sons Morhad and Donal and Flaherty Yonel, went to war with the Kennel Connell. After an initial attempt to subjugate the Yonel failed, Brian later regrouped his armies and successfully forced the Kennel Connell to bow before him. In 1011, after his conquest of Northern Ireland, Brian became the first High King of Ireland, at least the first in recorded history, to control the entire island. He sought to solidify his claims in the north by earning the favor of the monastery in Armagh. I mentioned in the previous Brian Boru episode that Ireland didn't really have cities or religious dioceses. The cultural centers of Ireland, besides the forts of local kings, were the monasteries. Armagh was the largest monastery in Northern Ireland. During his campaigns in Northern Ireland against the Yenale, Brian's deeds were written about in the Book of Armagh. The Book of Armagh, also called the Canon of Patrick, is a holy book that details some of the deeds of St. Patrick and also contained one of the earliest complete versions of the New Testament of the Christian Bible. In the Book of Armagh, Brian is not referred to as Ardri, the old Irish for High King, but as Imperator Scotorum, a name in Latin meaning Emperor of the Gales. But Brian's complete control of Ireland couldn't last forever. No, that would be too easy. And who should be the one to lead the latest rebellion other than his old enemy Malmorda MacMurchada of Leinster? As to why Malmorda revolted? It's a bit complicated, but the classical story as told in the Kogad brings it all back to Brian's wife Gormleth. Even though it isn't written within the Kogad, it's probably okay to assume that the High King of Ireland and his third wife were not happily married. Even though polygamy was accepted in medieval Ireland, Brian was possibly not married to Gormleth by the time he married Duv Coleg. But if Brian and Gormleth were still married, it would make the following story even more awkward. So, like I said, it probably was never a happy marriage. 
For whatever reason, it said that Gormleth was constantly trying to goad her brother, Balmorda, into going to war against Brian. My theory would be that it was either to get Malmorda or her son Sigtrig onto the throne as High King of Ireland. But Gormleth's prodding was not enough to actually get Malmorda to raise his sword against Brian Boru. However, if those stories are correct, I'm sure Gormleth's influence was all but the straw that broke the camel's back. The Quran says that it was actually an insult from one of Brian's sons that made Malmorda rebel against Brian. In 1012, Leinster proclaimed that it would no longer bow before the might of the Imperator Skatorum. Malmorda's first plan of attack was to go after Malasheknal in Meath. Leinster believed that the former High King was weak because of battles he had been fighting against, guess who, Flaherty Yanael. Yeah, that guy is still just existing as a thorn in the side of everyone. And what better way to really ramp up this story than this? Malmortha and Flaherty Yonel decided to join forces in rebelling against Brian. His two recent enemies were now one and the same. In early 1013, Brian formed an army out of his troops in Munster and Southern Connacht in order to save his rival-turned-ally Malshechnal. Half of his army split off with Brian's oldest son Marhad and went on a rampage through Southern Leinster. Meanwhile, Brian led the rest of his army to the border of Meath to provide support against the combined leinster yanael coalition. The two armies fought separately until they rejoined in September in order to lay siege to Dublin. Because guess what? Yep, the Norse guilds of Dublin under Sigtrig had joined the rebellion. Unfortunately for Brian, his troops ran out of supplies, forcing the siege to fall apart as winter approached. He returned to Munster for Christmas and to allow his army to rest throughout the winter. But both sides knew that this was far from over. In fact, despite it being the middle of winter, things were only just heating up. Mormorder really thought that his rebellion would unite the other kings of Ireland against Brian and his rule of the island, but that didn't seem to be the case. It was just Leinster, the Northern Yanael clans, and Dublin. That, however, didn't stop Mal's quest for more allies. This led him to rely on his nephew, Sigtrig. As a man of Norse descent, Sigtrig was sent to see if any of the other Norse throughout the Norse world, which in this case really just means the neighboring islands around Great Britain, were willing to join a war against the High King of Ireland. Sigtrig found his allies on the Isle of Man, which is located between Ireland and Wales, and the Orkney Islands, which are to the north of Scotland. On the Isle of Man, Sigtrig gained the alliance of two Norse brothers named Brodir and Ospakar. History has two different ways of looking at why the Norse brothers joined Sigtrig. Some believe it was for the simple goal of money. Fight for Sigtrig to overthrow Brian and you get gold. Easy. The Norse settlers throughout the British Isles have been mercenaries for centuries by this point, so it seems like an obvious reason for Brodir and Ospakar to join. However, the Kogod makes mention of the Viking descendants agreeing to join because they hoped to do what their ancestors could not. Conquer Ireland The war that would come to follow has seen a lot of revisionist takes in recent decades. 
Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we're dealing with two main historical sources that don't give us much in the way of an exact truth. The Annals of Ulster only tell us who died. The Kogad, however, makes it seem as if the war really was all about a Viking invasion. Brian once more joined his army with that of Malshechnal in order to suppress Malmorda's rebellion. Brian's combined army was much larger than that of Leinster and its allies, larger to the point that he was able to send off a part of that army under the command of his son Donhad into southern Leinster. The strategy there was to draw away Malmorda's soldiers who lived in southern Leinster, thinking that they would protect their homes from Munster. What happened next is detailed in the Icelandic tale Njal Saga, so take it with a grain of salt. Brodir, one of the Norsemen from the Isle of Man, had a dream where a bunch of people died due to a rain of boiling blood, which sounds about right for an Icelandic saga. Brodir told his brother Ospakar about this dream, to which Ospakar responded that it meant there would be massive casualties on both sides of the war. Oh, and Brodir would most likely die during the war. Unhappy with that dream reading, Brodir decided to have his brother killed, as you do. Ospakar found out about this, split ways with his brother, sailed all the way around Ireland to Connacht, converted to Christianity, and then finally joined up with Brian Boru. Kind of a drastic response, but I guess it was either that or die. Knowing that the foreign Norse armies were now on their way, Brian sent word to Dohad's separate battalion requesting them to rejoin the main body of the High King's army. But word arrived a bit too late. To make matters worse, Malsheknal and his army pulled away after the death of Mal's son Flan. It would just be Brian's forces from Munster and Connacht to take on the rebels. On April 18th, 1014, Palm Sunday, thus marking the beginning of the Christian Holy Week of that year, the foreign armies arrived in Dublin. Five days later, on Good Friday, the two armies met each other just north of the city of Dublin in a town now synonymous with Brian Boru. On Good Friday, the Battle of Clontarf began. It should be noted that Brian was in his 70s at this point. So, did he actually fight in the Battle of Clontarf? If you want to have a romantic vision of the battle, then of course he did. In reality, no, a 70-year-old man is not going to be going out into the field of battle. The actual person in charge of Brian's forces was most likely his son, Mahad. Surprisingly, for being one of the most famous battles in Irish history, there are no surviving first-hand sources for the battle. The Annals of Ulster only list those who died. According to every other source, it was said to be one of the most brutal and bloody battles ever to be fought in Irish history. Some say that the battle was fought all day, probably from dawn to dusk. Brian's army, despite being split apart and missing key allies, was still larger. That probably meant he had a slight advantage over the combined forces of his enemies. Even still, it seemed as if it was anyone's game. Now comes my favorite part. I love when the tides change in a battle, and I mean that in a figurative and literal sense. 
The Norse from the Orkney Islands and the Isle of Man had their boats waiting just off the shore in the Irish Sea. Well, when the tides started receding, that meant their boats also started drifting further out into the water. The Norse broke apart from the armies of Leinster in order to secure their ships, allowing Merhad and the armies of the High King to start cutting through the lines. Late in the battle, it seems that Malshaknal had a change of heart and decided to return to Brian's side to help in the Battle of Clontarf. His aid would help lead Brian's army to victory over Leinster and the Norse. But it was not a victory devoid of loss. Almost every single leader who was present at Clontarf, except for Malshaknal, were killed. It's said that Marhad killed the leader of the Orkney Norse, but Marhad, as well as his son Tordelach, were slain. Melmorda was also killed during the actual battle. Brodir, the leader of the Norse from the Isle of Man, managed to escape the field of combat, but not before he made one final move. As I said, Brian would not have been out in the middle of the fight. He was back at his tent where he was giving orders. Well, it's said that at one point Brian was praying, and at that point, Brodir snuck into Brian's tent and killed the High King. Though Brodir would be captured and forced to disembowel himself, he had done what no king in Ireland had been able to achieve. He had struck down the Emperor of the Gales. In the immediate aftermath of Brian's death, Malshachna was restored as the High King of Ireland, but he was never able to reunite the island and achieve as much power as Brian Boru. In fact, some say that Ireland did not really even have a true High King again until about a century later. As for Brian's family and the power they had consolidated, the Yavnachda, the rival claimants to the throne of Munster, immediately took over in the southwestern kingdom. However, Brian's son Dohad would eventually take over as the High King of Munster. Some sources even list him as becoming the High King of Ireland after Malshechnal. That last part probably isn't true, but Brian's family would not fizzle out. They would continue on as the O'Brien dynasty, who would be one of the main clans to hold the title of High King until the Anglo-Normans invaded and took control of Ireland in the late 12th century. But even to this day, Brian's power is felt in the world. The reason the last name O'Brien is common in Ireland is because of Brian Boru. In fact, several famous modern leaders claim that they are descendants of Brian Boru. Apparently, Queen Elizabeth, the one still alive at the time of this recording, claims descendants from the Irish High King, meaning that all of her descendants would as well. Also, three US presidents, JFK, Ronald Reagan, and Barack Obama, all claim to be descendants of Brian Boru. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're going to stay in Ireland, but jump ahead a few centuries. We're trading Munster for Connacht as we follow the rule of a woman who is also sometimes referred to as the Pirate Queen. It's the story of Grania O'Malley.
I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.